Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We hope you had a, a good and safe Christmas, but the football never stops. Another Norwich City game and a defeat. We haven't, we've sort of uh, become unfamiliar to this feeling, haven't we? Just a second loss in 17 games, but Norwich in that luxurious position of being able to almost stomach a defeat and it not damaging them too much. Still four points clear at the top of the championship, although, of course, Bournemouth didn't play. Um, Dave Freezer here alongside Connor Southwell. Uh, we're going to keep it uh, quite a quick pod this week, but just because uh, there's another game on Tuesday night, uh, you know, it's a hectic spell for everyone. So we'll we'll have a sort of brief review of, of the game at Watford on Boxing Day, and then we're going to turn attentions to Tuesday night's home game against QPR. Quite quickly, uh, so yeah, Connor, we um, we survived Storm Bella, didn't we? It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It was, it was the, the weather seemed to sort of come and go a bit, didn't it? But but overall, the, the performance, what what did you make of it? Just an off day, I think. Just um, one one of those days where I think they had probably far too many players that weren't quite at the the level they needed to be. I think sometimes when you're a good side, and this Norwich team is a good side, and I've seen a lot of sort of criticism over the last twelve hours or so. Maybe people trying to say otherwise but this is a good Norwich City side and um, usually when you are a good side and you have that quality you can carry two or three players maybe not being at the level but I don't think you can carry nine or ten and and that was kind of the case yesterday I felt um, Norwich probably a bit below the level that we've become accustomed to in recent weeks and Watford maybe helped obviously by the new manager um, in terms of their application and, and whatnot I felt maybe slightly above the level they've been in recent weeks as well so when you combine those two factors you, you probably get the result that you've, that you've got but as you said at the top of the show Norwich are, are still four points clear at the top so there's still so much to be optimistic about this is just a um, a, a bad day at the office and, and, and they're always going to lose games in the championship so it's um, it's now about how quickly they can respond to that and in typical football parlance uh, their bounce back ability but um, they've shown already that they've got plenty of that and they obviously get an opportunity to put it right on Tuesday so I don't think there'll be too many people both fans and players and Daniel Farker who will want to be keen to dwell on this defeat really. Uh, Daniel said after that it was a lack of uh, intensity and sharpness in the final third. But ahead of kickoff, I think everybody was quite excited to see Dowell, Kieran Dowell coming into the starting lineup. First time we've seen him, Campwell, and Buendia as that attacking sort of trident behind Timu Puki. But um, I, th- I think maybe people were lulled into a little bit of a false sense of security in terms of what for because they changed their manager that they were sort of vulnerable. But really, Vladimir Ivic only lost his job because they'd lost, uh, they'd drawn too many games, hadn't they? And after last night, after the, the game, they have the best home record in the championship. So Cisco Munoz comes in and 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 gets that little bit of um, little bit of a bounce. But that attacking midfield three, what what did you make? Do you think it's do you think it's just a case of You've got to be patient. You've got to let Dow get up to speed and, and, and stick with them because that we all can see there's potential there. Because Daniel also sort of pointed out when, when I asked him about it that that he felt in that game they missed the pace of of a Pueheta and a Hernandez. I get I guess he means even as just as an option off the bench. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I think it is about being patient. And, and I think maybe the luxury that Kieran Dow has over maybe some of the players that have come into that number 10 before, Andre Duda, we could we could talk about as well, is that he's kind of a bit of a known quantity. People know what he's capable of in the championship. And I think from a PR perspective, if you want to sort of label it like that, I think that helps with the, OK, we're going to stick with him, but we need to give him time. Um 
because uh, and, and his cameo at Reading showed it, didn't it, in terms of the quality that he does have. It's just about unlocking that. And I think in order to get him back up to, to full speed, to shake off all the rust, to get the, the sharpness back, he does need to play football matches. And um, you kind of have to swallow a few of performances like last night to get to maybe the highs um, that we saw against Reading on a, on a more consistent basis. So I think it is about sticking with it. I, I don't think it was just him either. I felt Obi Buendia and Todd Campbell both struggled last night. And I think you have to credit Watford for for how they how they defended. There was a moment in the first half where um where Zisco really shouted uh, Buendia in the middle. So it just it just goes to show how much attention they were sort of giving them to I, I felt and in central areas they were really solid and compact. So you you can see where Daniel's coming from in terms of maybe having a, a Placetta or Hernandez would have stretched the game a bit more and given them a bit more out wide because Really, if you look at look at the game, they they got forced into a lot of crossing opportunities, and it's not really how they want to play. So, um, in in that regard, you have to praise Watford. But yeah, I, I think in terms of that attacking free, clearly the potential is there, and everyone knows the quality of those players individually. It's about getting it to to knit together as a as a as a free, and um, obviously confidence comes when you can sort of improve on the ball and, and Kieran Dow maybe was was perhaps a, a little bit wasteful on it last night and I think that is just a, a fact that he hasn't had many minutes and he's had virtually three months out more than anything else so um, time will tell but uh, I think hopefully this will this will light the fire a little bit within him and, and, and he'll want to show improvement on Tuesday if he does get another opportunity to start and if not then hopefully some more minutes from the bench. Yeah, I think we always knew this was going to be a tricky game. What what surprised me a little bit was it felt like quite a battle of uh, brains against Braun. Like, looking at Watford, they all looked big, strong players, whereas Norwich looked lean and, and tricky. There was a, there was more of a contrast of styles there than I was expecting. And, you know, first half particularly, they sat off quite a lot. They didn't press Norwich particularly hard. And, and Ben Foster a couple of times was shouting, wake up to, to them. And, and Norwich were sort of being able to, to dictate it. But the goal, 39th minute, Ismail Assar, you know, £30 million of winger that they bought in the Premier League. Senegal International, isn't it? And it? It was a goal that we just haven't been familiar with with Norwich recently really have we and there was the Harvey Elliott one at Blackburn which wasn't exactly much to, to write home from and, and again came down that left and Sorensen but maybe we'll come on to him sort of more in, in a minute but um yeah it, ju it just felt like one where they they sort of switched off a bit didn't it yeah I think I tweeted afterwards it it, it was the worst goal they conceded for a while and um, it, it was just a sort of six or seven individual mistakes. I think you can you can put it down to. It starts with Max Aaron's losing the ball really sloppily um, down Norwich's right on the edge of the Watford box. And then you can probably point at two or three players, Aaron's and, and Buendia maybe being two and not, not tracking back and, and, and maybe not doing the job as well as they could have done. Um, then it's about stopping the cross. And then it's about Sorensen being the wrong side of Saar. Again, maybe I've seen a few question marks over McGovern, which I think maybe a, a slightly harsh given the, the cross takes a slight deflection. Um, it's It's just a... A, a series of errors really and, and that kind of summed up the evening I felt just a bit sloppy just um, as, as Daniel put just lacked intensity and focus a little bit and that was kind of testament to to, to how Watford played and, and how they frustrated Norwich I felt and you know I, I don't think it was any secret that they were going to have threat on the counter I mean this was largely really a, a, an Ivich performance in terms of the way they played with a bit more application and a bit more intensity because of that sort of intangibles that a new manager can extract from players so um, I just felt it was a bad day at the office, and I think that get, that goal really summed it up. Um, and that that's kind of the risk and reward with Norwich. You push you push the fullbacks on, but you make yourself sort of susceptible to counter attacks at the other end. And then it's about how you can manage and how you can deal with those. And 
Um, I think Ollie Skip said in his in his post match comments that they didn't really deal with maybe two or three of the counters particularly well because it was quite simplistic from Watford. Really, it was just putting the balls in the corners and trying to get a bit of pace on on, on to run onto them. So um, there was no sort of genius in terms of how they won the game. But look, it, it was probably going to happen at some point that Norwich were going to have a game like this where they were going to come unstuck. And maybe the difference between Watford and a, and a number of sides that they faced is the quality that they can bring off on the bench and the fact that that quality does last for 90 minutes as opposed to maybe um, sides like Swansea, for example. Um, I, I'd throw even Blackburn in that to some extent where they show quality in short bursts or for... 60 maybe 70 minute spells and then really drop off when maybe they're enforced their changes and the fatigue comes in a little bit and, and with Watford there was no noticeable drop off and Norwich even though they raised their levels couldn't quite find an equaliser so it, it it was a frustrating night maybe a little bit of a predictable one but um, yeah that, that goal I kind of felt summed up the, the evening as a whole from a Norwich perspective in terms of the mistakes and and, and just how sloppy it was. Yeah, disjointed, I think, is the mm. word I've used most to describe it um, in our post-match stuff, which, of course, you can read plenty of at pinkin.com if you can stomach it. If you're not, um, you know, still plowing through cheese and biscuits and your uh, Christmas chocolates, that's what I'm uh, That's what I'm planning for later this evening. Um, for first half, uh, Etienne Capu was booked for sort of tre- trotting on... Uh, is that grammatically correct? He stood <laughs> on <laughs> Wendy's ankle. And in real time, I thought... Um, that it was accidental, but I've had a few tweets post match that suggested that it should have been a red card, but there wasn't really any appeals for that or anything, was there? No, I think it, I think it's a difficult one because again, intent is is subjective, isn't it? It's, it's different to only he knows if he meant it or not. I think if if VAR maybe has a look, then maybe maybe it's a different matter because they they seem to sort of extract that and just look at it solely from a almost a mathematical perspective, if you want to put it like that. But um, Certainly at the time, I didn't think there was any intent. Uh, it's, it's Again, it's really difficult to say. I, I think I think it was probably a strong yellow. I don't think he maybe could have had two arguments if he, if he had been sent off. Um, I, I think maybe the, there's a bigger argument to say he should have been sent off in, in the second half for a couple of, of sort of pullbacks on players and um, a couple of, of silly little fouls that accumulated to to maybe get a, a, a second yellow, which may Lassar maybe as well. But overall, I, I felt the referee probably... Uh, made made the right right call on that one, given that in real time, without obviously VAR at the, at the moment and whatnot, it, it did look accidental for me. I don't think he was he was looking at Buendia because um, it was one of those where he sort of raked his studs down the back of his of, of his ankle, wasn't it? So um, yeah, I, I think in real time it looked accidental. So I think he, he probably got that right. Obviously, when you slow it down and, and watch it from five or six different replays, then maybe it does say differently. But um, in the moment, I, I felt it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought he was good though, Kapu. Like, yeah, like you say, he did walk uh, the the sort of tightrope for a second yellow and things like that. But I thought he sort of, him and and Dini sort of summed up their approach really that he Munez had clearly got them fired up. You know, they they did get that bit of new manager bounce, that sort of extra ten percent that you, you hope to get. They um, they sort of worked that little bit harder, I think, to get that result. And like Kapu for for the goal, it was him that intercepted and burst forward, wasn't it? And um, yeah, I thought he was pretty good. Um, but yeah, let's talk Jacob Sorensen. I think uh, off the top of my head, that was the thirteenth game, wasn't it? Um, that he has sort of persevered at left back, shall we say? But having Kintia back on the bench didn't get on the pitch, and uh, of course the triple substitution that Daniel Farker made. Um, what 67th minute he actually moved Ollie Skip to left wing back and, and brought Gibson into the left of a, of a defensive three. So 
do we think that maybe well a i, I suppose Sorensen could be running on empty a little bit because he he you know had a difficult sort of start to the season didn't he uh, with fitness issues it took him a little while to come into things but b just in this isn't the first game where we've seen him just look too awkward at left back really is it and, and understandable against a, a player of sars ability who <laughs> to me i thought he was a bit like uh, it almost felt like he didn't know what he was going to do. It looked like he was sort of um, uh, like he he didn't um, have full control of what he was doing, but was still just causing loads of problems. He was just causing a bit of chaos, wasn't he? And he obviously had the pace and power there. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're probably right. I think this this probably shows that, especially with Quintia back in the fold, that maybe it is time to, to dip Jakob Sorensen out of that. And it is worth noting that for those 13 games, on on the whole, I'd say he's probably done a, a pretty sterling job for someone yeah. who's a central midfielder by trade and has, has never played as a left-back before, um, especially given that teams, as, as you say there, have identified clearly that he isn't a left-back and have been targeting that area a lot more. I remember Harvey Elliott at Blackburn having a bit of a spell, didn't he, in the second half. Um, I thought he got run ragged by Ismail Asar last night and... Um, it kind of feels like he, he needs a, a reset now and, and to maybe try and stake his claim for one of the midfield positions. That's where they're sort of excited for him to play. That's clearly his, his natural position. I think he's shown even in, in this sort of spell that he's very useful with the ball. So it's going to be interesting to see how he operates as a midfielder on a consistent basis and, and also what sort of midfielder he is. And um, Because again, he looks neat and tidy. He looks like someone who, certainly in terms of his, his stature, could, could be quite physical in there. So... Um, I think there's plenty of promise there. He's done a sterling job. He's been very reliable, quite dependable. Um, but yeah, I think now that, that the sort of the natural options are coming back, it, it probably is time to to dip him out. Maybe with a view to that FA Cup game in, in a couple of weeks' time to to get him in that midfield slot and uh, and, and have a proper look at him there. Um, but yeah, take nothing away from him. He deserves a, an enormous amount of credit for this spell, considering that he got thrown in five minutes before kickoff against Brentford and 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 since then has has, has really sort of held the fort quite well. So um he, he deserves praise. But yeah, now Quintier is back, I think it, it makes sense. And obviously with the January window coming back and and, and they're hoping to to get another left left back in on on loan potentially then maybe just to to dip him out and and um and, and let him fight for those positions in midfield. Well, Byram and Mumba as well, of course. I mean, if Byram gets back to the form you've shown in the Premier League, then Norwich have probably got the best left back in the Championship, haven't they? But um, we shall see. They might have to be a bit patient with him. He's obviously had uh, injury problems. There was another moment, um, when was that, towards the first half, when, when Gray, Andre Gray hit the sort of um, netting pole, didn't he? Uh, 13th minute, yeah, I've got it here. Um, and we were sat right behind the benches, basically. But And, and the Watford subs and, and Munoz, just for a second, they thought it had gone in, didn't they? Because it rippled the side netting and looked like it had gone to the top. But that came down the left as well. And that was Kapu with a lovely pass where he used the wind, didn't he, to hold the ball up. And so I was just clean through. And, and Hanley and Torrenson looking at each other like, uh, we're in trouble. <laughs> um so, yeah, a, a difficult night for, for Sorensen. But what I hope with him as well, because he's still a young man, 22, I think, isn't he? And he's still, you know, adjusting to England, things like that. There's been enough positives in that run of being at left back that I hope that it will stand him in good stead going forward, that it will actually improve him as a defensive midfielder um, and improve his all-round game. Um, but we uh, we shall see. So um, the, the big moment in the second half, um, which uh, I 
got completely wrong on Twitter uh, based on the first replay, <laughs> should have rated, waited to see some more replays, um, was this brilliant tackle from Adam Messina mm. on, on Timu Puki, which in real time, because the, the ball was the other side of us from where we were sat, it just looked like he cleaned out Puki. But once he saw the replay, it was a, he absolutely nailed it, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic challenge, and yeah, I think they were um, they didn't show the best replay in the press box because because like you, I, I I kind of felt from first glance that it was a an absolute stonewaller. But yeah, having having seen it subsequently, it was it was an excellent challenge, and there's some really good photos that our, our photographer Paul Chesterton captured of it as well. Um, and, and again, that just summed up there that sort of extra 10% that we've been talking about from Watford's perspective because it looked for all the world like Timmy Puki was, was just going to slot that in and maybe it's kind of speaking about him as as well a little bit that he kind of hesitated took that second or, or half a second or whatever just yeah. to of just to think about it a bit more and, and didn't quite get the shot away in time and um and then it was it was an excellent challenge so yeah I, I think probably the the two penalty appeals if you want to call them that I think the referee got got both of them right actually and in general, I think there's probably a, a stronger argument about Kapu and, and, and Saar maybe not being sent off for, for second yellows. Um, and, and, and from there, you don't know how it impacts the game. But um, but yeah, that, that kind of summed up Watford's approach to it last night. Very resilient. They they were really compact centrally. They didn't give Norwich any space in those sort of central areas where Buendia and Campwell like to find pockets and, and like to play it and just really frustrated them all evening. And, and that moment really was the first time that we'd saw them Fred a ball through and that was Rancic to Buki, wasn't it? And that was really the first time that they cut Watford open all, all evening, really. All, all of the rest of the chances were either from distance or from crossing opportunities. So that kind of shows um, how successful Watford were in terms of their defensive approach and how they frustrated Norwich. Um, and I think, you know, when Puki, Buendia, Max Ahrens as well, who, who's usually Mr. Consistent for Norwich, when, when they aren't quite at the level that maybe the, you, you typically expect from them, you know that maybe it's it's not your night. And I think that was just the case with Norwich. It just wasn't their, their evening. And, and maybe there's more to say about the blue kit and, and Norwich City on Boxing Day. Yeah, I don't think they've won in any of the change kits yet, have they? So they, they wore the petrol blue at Luton in the Cup and Brentford. The third kit, the sort of black and multicoloured one, that was at Luton in the league, wasn't it? And then the petrol blue again uh, last night. And yeah, so that, that's not been going too well. I, I, I wonder if there's some kind of weird psychological thing there about playing such bright kit normally in yellow and then go into sort of dull colours which actually uh, subconsciously almost they they don't pick out their teammates quite as well I don't know maybe I'm reading too much into it but um, just when we were we were talking uh, there about the uh, the Pookie incident and about that one I mentioned where Watford thought it was in that's something that I often think gets sort of forgotten about in, in normal football times when you've got a crowd in the stadium is that we all evaluate football don't we and we all talk about it um and analyze the game but depending on where you've watched the game from you can have a completely different view can't you you know if you mm. sit at sort of pitch level uh, at Carrow Road or you know it, Old Trafford for instance where they have that massive camber on the turf and stuff if you're in the front row your view of the game is so so different to somebody who's watched it in the front row of the top tier behind the goal and you know we all talk about the same game but we all essentially in real time had had a different view but anyway i, I digress i'm i'm I'm, get, I'm going too deep it's it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that time of year um maybe there's still a, a little bit of christmas beer in the system <laughs> um daniel did say uh, did make a triple change didn't he 67th minute as you say Brandic came on um brought 
Gibson, Hugel on as well for Campwell, Dow and Sorensen, switched to a 3-5-2. And to be fair to Farker, that did work, didn't it? Because just before that, there'd been, I think it was five consecutive corners, wasn't it? That, that Norwich were just scrambling away and, and Watford had got completely on top. So um, I thought Vrancic was pretty good, actually. Went, you know, as, he, as you say, lovely ball for the, the penalty incident with Pukki. Um, has he probably forced his way in? We did see Lucas Rupp at the end as well, didn't we? Um, McLean wasn't as good as he was against Cardiff, although, I, you know, I thought he was he was decent. But, um, you know, Rupp was playing at a very high level before he got injured. Yeah, he was. And, and that triple change did help things and I was actually looking obviously to the player watch on, on Kieran Dowell uh, today pinkin.com you can you can check that out um, and, and sort of looked at the numbers and, and Mario Vrancic completed more passes attempted more passes and created two chances in sort of half the time that Kieran Dowell was on the pitch so that kind of really? summarises it really yeah in terms of, of, of just how much of an influence he had so I think he has played his way back into the side I think the, the problem with him is again it, as a number 10 at home in a game where Norwich maybe will, will expect to dominate, is that the best circumstance and situation to get the best out of him? That was a situation where Norwich did have 65% possession, etc. So maybe we could even be looking at Mario Vrancic from, from an eight role with Kieran Dowell in the side as well. That that wouldn't totally be beyond the realms, I don't think. Although, again, there'd be probably some some wider questions about the structure. I think you, 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 there probably is an argument to say you need you need Rupp or, or McLean in there at the moment. Um, what, is it Four three three, you mean? Yeah, maybe, maybe sort of the the same shape. Skip alongside Vrancic would then Dow slightly ahead in in that ten, and maybe just drop right, Vrancic okay. into that into that deeper position um, at, at Carrow Road in, in a game that they're going to expect to to dominate the ball. I think maybe that's that's a better place for him to be than as a number ten. Where from certainly from the start of games, we haven't quite seen the best of him as a number ten. I don't think so. Um, He's he's quite a difficult one to pin down, I think. But I think I think there's maybe a wider debate about that number ten position generally. And obviously, since Marco Steeperman performed excellently there in the title winning season, no one has really sort of grasped the mantle there. I mean, Steeperman had a go in the Premier League. Then we saw Andre Duda. Um, obviously, we've seen Kieran Dow, Mario Vrancic, Kenny McLean played there a little bit in the Premier League. So it's kind of been the one position that has been a real question mark over for the last however long. So it's whether Daniel Farker thinks that like, Kieran Dow's the man that needs to needs to just we need to just show a bit of patience with and give him a a, a sort of prolonged spell in the team or, or whether you do decide to recall Vrancic and put him in that position. So I think for me that's that's probably the debate. As for Lucas Rupp, I think he was he was really essential, wasn't he? That skip and, and, and Rupp partnership was was excellent prior to his injury. So if you can get him back up to full speed, not quite sure he's he's there yet. This was only his sort of first appearance, wasn't it, since the injury. So um, he, he might need a couple of weeks or so. Maybe Coventry in the Cup again is, is a good opportunity to expose him to some minutes. Um, and then, yeah, Quintier as well. Uh, probably recall him for Tuesday. And then I, I guess the other one's Ben Gibson. I think he, he, was, he was superb when he came on, really. It, it's not just so much his defensing capabilities it's how he steps in and, and how progressive he is with his passing and it made a real difference to Norwich I felt in, in the last few minutes to the extent where it almost felt like as sort of influential a change as, as bringing Mario Vrancic on so for me it's probably a case for who he comes in for rather than than if he comes in for QPR so I think there's plenty to ponder for Daniel Farker it's, it's and he's a coach that likes continuity so it's maybe not ideal at the moment but look it's, it's a better situation than he was in a couple of weeks ago where he didn't have these options so um, I, I think it'll be a welcome headache for him. Yeah I, I'd agree with that yeah Gibson probably got to come in the, the interesting one will be you know Daniel has actually said that he wants to give Hanley a rest isn't he because he's played so much football 
Um, so would he be tempted just to, just to dip Hanley out and bring him back in for the Barnsley game, which is probably looking the tougher of the two this week, um, given that Zimmerman is sort of slowly getting better with each game, I'd have said, but still not quite back at back at his best yet. Um, and that I think most people would say that Gibson and Hanley just feels like it has a has a better balance to it. They, you know, a proper left and right footer, um, sort of similar characters, similar leaders in in well, I suppose Zimmerman's very much a leader as well, isn't he? But just just in in the way they sort of order things around and stuff it, it felt like it it had a nice balance to it so um yeah it's, it's going to be interesting but it's good good he's got those options um in, in case you missed it ahead of this game Marcus Steedman not involved as, as Connor's just mentioned in there because of um uh, an ear infection which he had earlier in the season and he just hasn't shaken it off and I've heard things like this before um, where um, that, that it can sort of go undetected and it affects balance. And and Daniel talks about he, he's been getting headaches and things. So they, they sort of dipped him out of things for the time being, just to just to try and get him his health right, really, get him back to 100%. And that does kind of tally with what we're seeing from Steepman really this season, because there's been some games where he's been good and some where he's really looked out of sorts. So um, hopefully a bit of downtime will, will allow Marco to sort of get back to it get back to his best because it's, it's been a bit of a weird season for him so far. Right. Let's call it on the Watford game there. Let's hear a bit from Daniel Farker after the game. Uh, also spoke to him about the QPR match. Um, so here's what Daniel had to say, looking ahead to Tuesday night, and then we will uh, talk about QPR a little bit uh, in just a minute. In QPR, they obviously haven't made the best of starts of the season. What have you made of them so far? For you can ask Jordan Newell a little bit about them perhaps. Yes, that's right. But in, in general, I think when you analyze the games, um, so um, they they were just lacking a bit of efficiency. So s- several games they have dominated, even against really good sides. It's a good possession-based uh, based side, and they have quality players, and it's, it's difficult to uh, to break them. So quite often they've lost the game with one goal, sometimes with two goals. Anyhow, uh, if they can find this, this a little bit of efficiency and quality, I'm pretty sure they can can also be in a much much better position. And for that, um, we are full of respect. We know that we have to be fully switched on and fully concentrated in this league everything can happen and you have to be fully uh, fully there in order to to, uh, to make sure that you have a chance to to win the game and this is what we're also trying to do on Tuesday right so yes Daniel very much um, giving QPR the respect there um, now I hadn't realised that their form was quite as dodgy as <laughs> as it was. Uh, I've got it in front of me here. It looks like they've only scored two goals in their last six games. And four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And one win in the last ten. So they have dropped down the division. But with, with Mark Warburton, uh, they're, they're a team who want to play possession football and they want to play attacking football. But that could just play into Norwich's hands, couldn't it? Yeah, it could. I, th- I think those um, those sort of statistics you've you said there make me think that maybe it's going to be a very similar game to what we've seen at Carrow this season in terms of just team teams sitting in and and counter attacking. But you're right. I guess it depends how sort of wedded Mark Warburton is, and I think we've we've seen in general that he's he's fairly um, he's fairly ideological in terms of the way he plays and and how wedded he is to to his philosophy. So I, I think. Uh, I'm expecting to see maybe a bit more ambition from QPR than than what we've seen from some sides that have come to Carrow Road this season, and I think that does 
that does um, play into Norwich's hands because that will mean space for Emi Buendia. It will mean space for Todd Campwell and it will allow those players to get to to find pockets of space. We saw against Cardiff how deadly and, and how devastating they can be if, the, if they're given those. So it kind of feels perhaps more so than than some games at Carrow Road, like it's, it's kind of set up for Norwich, but equally they're going to have to perform because QPR still, and even though those, the form book is, is, is not particularly healthy reading for them. They've still got bright SA Samuel, who's, who's a very good player. Um, they, they've still got some, some very good attacking options and they'll be keen to turn that around. And, you know, any team coming to Carrow Road at the moment, Norwich is, is kind of the scalp, isn't it? Of the, of the division teams come there and, and look to pick up a result as, um, and as Daniel Farker has said, it, it kind of does feel like teams are, are raising their level when they come to Carrow Road. So it'll be another tough test and it'll be another test to see how Norwich can bounce back. But when their quality players play well enough, they can win games as we saw against Cardiff. So, um, I, I would imagine the odds to be to be stacked firmly in Norwich's favour and, and they've got to contend with that. But it won't be just simply they can't go into it being complacent because as as the championship has shown, you, you can't have any ego and, and you can't be um it, it can be pretty ruthless. So it'll be a another difficult game for them to navigate, but another really good opportunity to get some more points on the board and to hopefully stretch that that lead at the top of the table by by even further given that um given that Bournemouth had that game in hand, which is a very tricky one against Millwall, which is probably going to be in midweek in January. So I don't think that's one that, that they'll, they'll they'll fancy at all. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good opportunity to get points on the board, I think, even in the next week against Barnsley, who, as you said, I think are, are going to be much tougher opponents. Yeah, a 2-0 home defeat to Swansea, who who are now second, uh, four points behind Norwich. It was a COVID outbreak at Millwall, wasn't it, which saw that mm-hmm. game. Uh, against Bournemouth postponed. So, um, but you know, QPR. You look at their position in the table. They're only four points off the relegation zone, uh, and they've got Forest, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday below them. All of whom have got the potential to to get going, haven't they? You know, Pulis is starting to grind things out a bit with Wednesday. Um, you know, if Derby get their ownership situations sorted and, and, and maybe Rooney gets appointed full time, they, they have shown a, a few signs of flickering into life. And, and, and Forrest equally with Hewitt, and we're all expecting him to to grind them up the table, haven't they? So if uh, if Warburton loses this one, he could be could be in a bit of trouble because they're going to be in a, in a precarious position, given that that that, that run they've had. Um, but leading nicely on to just just finally for the for the pod today, really to, to talk a little bit about Jordan Hugill, because we didn't really talk about him too much in the. Uh, in the review of the Watford game, but he came back on. He's been back from that shoulder injury for a few games now, hasn't he? But he scored, what, 15 goals for, for QPR on loan last season. So he's a man who they know well. Um, given Pookie's maybe looked a little bit tired, I wonder whether this is this is a game where Daniel might look to get him a, a few more minutes. He did say in his presser that um, uh, he did sort of point out that, that Jordan had got the best part of 30 minutes off the bench and that that was, you know, on purpose. It was them trying to get him up and running fully again. But still just for all the all the hope that he was going to offer a very different option to Pookie, he still doesn't really feel like he, he fits in the team just yet, does he? No, no, he doesn't. It hasn't really taken off yet. And that's not to say that it, that it won't. It might click at some stage. But yeah, at the moment, it, it kind of feels, uh, I think I just got it in my match verdict, as, as like putting a bull in a ballet is, is kind of how it feels. It just feels <laughs> like a bit of a, a stylistic clash at the moment. Um, and it kind of feels like he doesn't quite know how to get the best out of this Norwich City team. And the Norwich City team don't quite know how to get the best out of him either. Um, and look, the, 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 he, he has been injured and he hasn't played many minutes. So 
it's difficult really to to judge him sort of in the round but um you do you do get the sense there is improvement to come and, and hopefully that is the case and maybe he just needs a goal he just needs something to to sort of hit him and, and bounce in and, and that'll be him off and running but yeah, this, this I think you're right. I think this could be a really good opportunity against his former side. He'll know those defenders. He'll know their strength and, and, and weaknesses. It, it sort of pitted his wits against them in in training a lot last season. So that that could be a really sort of useful tool for Norwich City to have at the top end of the pitch. And then it's all about the sort of service they provide. If Quintier comes back into the side, then that's a very good crossing option from the left as well, which you have to say yeah. would favour his style of of play. So um, I think it, it would be a good opportunity to for him to get um, maybe some action from the start, maybe just to, to dip Timu Buki out, um, especially given the, the events that have gone on in, in his life and maybe how, how sleep deprived he is. But um, yeah, I, I, th- I think now you've said that, I think I've, I've probably been persuaded to, to give Jordan Hugo a start on Tuesday as well. So um, yeah, I, I, I could feasibly see that being a, a situation, but equally there's part of me that can't see Daniel making four or five changes to, to that side. But who knows? You, you never know. At the moment, it's about managing your squad, isn't it? Particularly about with, with the schedule and whatnot. So, um, yeah, hopefully they can they can get a tune out of him because clearly, again, he's another one like Kieran Dowell who, who has proven that he can do it at this level. And and that kind of helps with the patience you get with it, I think, a little bit. So um, now it's just about service and, and Norwich City make sure that they um, that they find him in the right way and, and, and play to his strengths, which, again, is, is very, very different to Timu Puki. So, um We'll see how that goes. We'll see. But uh, I, I would be inclined to give him a start, I think. Yeah, the, the one thing you can say, he's clearly a good character and people, uh, you know, fans and players like him. And he, he came on, won a couple of headers, was a nuisance. Um, but in terms of goal threat, that wasn't really there. So, yeah, I, I think I could see it. Um, there was a little whisper I heard after the game that they were hopeful that Tim Krull might be able to come uh, in against QPR, but they weren't certain yet. I think it was more of a they're really hoping that it might be possible, but they still don't know. But then to, to carry on your train of thought there, is it very likely that Farker would bring in Krull, Gibson, Kintia, Rupp, Vrancic and Hugel for one game? I would have thought that's pretty unlikely given, you know, ever since that at this time of year, what, three years ago at Burton when he sort of changed the full team and they were awful at Burton in that nil-nil draw, weren't they? He, he's always been particularly uh, sort of against making drastic changes to the team because he just feels it sort of messes with their equilibrium too much, doesn't he? So um, we shall see, but it's going to be going to be an interesting week. Um, we'll, you know, Norwich will start 2021 on top of the championship table. Uh, they then got that Barnsley game that we teed up as being potentially really quite tricky. They've been going well along uh, under their new manager who is... Um, uh, Ismail Valerian, have I got that right? Yes, um, yes. Yeah. Which is uh, other way around. Other way around. Uh, uh, Valerian Ismail, isn't it? Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, I, I knew there was a Game of Thrones part to it. <laughs> that was the only way I could remember it. Um, so uh, yeah, I think they've been having a bit of fun with the Valerian steel um, headlines, haven't they? Uh, if you haven't watched Game of Thrones, and that's going to be totally over your head. <laughs> but um, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at Carrow Road Tuesday night. Uh, so all the usual jazz, video verdicts, um, reaction, updates during the game, pinker.com is the place to go. Thanks for listening to the pod. Happy New Year to you. Fingers crossed that they can get back on track on Tuesday night and and make sure that, you know, if they, if they get another win, then they're almost guaranteed to, to 
to be top of the table for most of January, aren't they, with the, with the FA Cup break coming up. But uh, Connor, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you very soon. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.